Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name is Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST 100, the Meat Puppets album Mirage. This is definitely a Brant record, more so than a Ryan record, but interesting still for me to get into this. It's got a got a big story behind it, and we've got a special guest, Brant. Yeah, we've got Derek Bostrom on the podcast. That's it's pretty darn cool that we can have someone from the Puppets on our 100th episode too, right? Yeah, for sure. How, where do we go from here? It's episode 100. Well, you know what, Ryan? I was taking a look back, and out of the first 100 episodes, I figure I had at least heard 80% of them. At least heard. I, I would say I knew, I knew probably close to 75% of those albums really well. Out of the next 100, I'd say I'm at about 30%. that's great so it's gonna be a it's gonna be a hell of a ride yeah well my favorite part for sure like there's a lot of things that i really enjoyed about the show and just to be clear like if people can't tell by now we would do this show if no one was listening just so we're clear here like we would do this uh it's a great excuse to hang out every weekend so always really appreciate that especially you know, we've got a wife and kids and jobs, and we're doing this after working 14 hours already during the day, and it's a pleasure. And so I really appreciate you having asked me along for the ride and um, look forward to the remaining 300 or so for sure. But I, I was looking back on the last 100 and thinking to myself, some of the best parts of the last 100, it's not just the interviews. But um, hearing about from the people on the band how much they really enjoyed this time period. And also, Brand, I don't know if you've caught this, but about how we're becoming a bit of an excuse for people in the bands to actually revisit their own music. And I'm thrilled about that in particular. Yeah, that's happened a few times, and that's always gratifying. Yeah, for sure. And, I, and I'm, I'm hoping, you know that a lot of people catch some of these records too for the first time around. Like when you say 70 out of a hundred, I, I didn't really try and do a count, but I was probably around the same. What I did do though, in the last 100 episodes is go way deeper in a lot of records that I had listened to, you know, half a dozen times or something like that. And with a different set of ears and, I hadn't listened to them for well over 10 years, some of them. So it's been insane. Yeah. You know, the big thing for me is, and I hope, I don't know if we said this from the start, but if we didn't, I'll say it now. I am not an SST expert (laughs) by any stretch. I would say you are probably the same way. I, I, I don't think either of us have ever considered ourselves an expert on SST, but I've learned so much in the last, 100 episodes and found some new albums out of doing this so that's been great oh yeah one of the highlights for sure is is just a really great way to learn about not just a record on sst but also recommends from from you from our listeners Mm -hmm. and all sorts of connections so whether you like it or not i'm in for the next 300 yeah that's my spiel for the week i just wanted to say 
thanks to every guest that we've had, many of whom have contributed, you know, beyond the interview that they did and stuff, you know, helped us with other, other uh, episodes and stuff. And then thanks to, you know, all our listeners for giving us their time and sending us stuff. Lots of our listeners send us cool stuff, like SST related stuff or stuff from their bands Thanks to everyone who's shared one of our social media posts or told a friend about this podcast. We appreciate all of it. Yeah. Ditto for sure. That's your spiel? That's my spiel. That's your whole spiel? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, well, I worked up a spiel. Okay. Spiel for the dudes. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. Can you hear this? Yeah. Yep. Can you hear that? Yep. Okay, so my spiel this week, I was uh, thinking back, what should I spiel about? 100th episode. And I thought I would spiel about my favorite, not my favorite, I guess, because I've got a lot of favorites, dozens in fact, but my top five Brandt quotes. (laughs) Are you ready? Here we go. All right. Spiels it, Baba. <laughs> Are you ready? <laughs> Dash Spiels. Melter. Okay, here's another one. Hey, Ryan, I've got to recommend, but not for you. This is the top one. Number one brand quote. Here we go. The quote is, don't quote me on that. <laughs> and that's it, man. Top five brand quote. <laughs> awesome. How long did you did it take you to work that back up? To get all my calluses up? Yeah. You've been working on that for a hundred episodes now. Hundred episodes. <laughs> I was gonna say exactly. Yeah. But don't quote me on that. <laughs> Good spiel. All right. Hey Brant, let's go to history lesson part one. History lesson part one. All right. Like I said more of a Brandt record, this Meat Puppets Mirage record, and it's got a reputation as well, and and you'll hear about its reputation in the interview with Derek. Yeah, It's uh, it's a different one, you know? It seems to me, like I was reading 
that's the section on this record, Mirage, in the Greg Prado book, Too mm-hmm. High to Die. This record seems to be, well, at least in his book anyways, and when I listen to them, I can see how this and Huevos is kind of grouped together too. But this one is, this one's got just such a different vibe from the last Puppet record, hey? Oh, yeah. They lost a lot of people on this one. But I, I really don't get it, man. Like, you hear a lot about their sound changing on this one. And I think I think it's Chris Kirkwood kind of sums it up best. I'm pretty sure this I got this from Greg Prado's book. You could say we blew it by not sounding the same on all of our records, but it was already blown. When you put a word like meat in your name, it's done. <laughs> <laughs> it just baffles me that people would say the meat puppets are selling out. This is still sounds like the meat puppets. Kurt Kirkwood is writing all the songs and he has his own sound, but like, I really like the record and I'm glad it sounds the way it does too. It's of its time and the songs are, are good and I don't have a problem with the sound either. Well, I mean, if I'm being honest, that is the hardest part for me to get over is kind of the production and the electronic elements of the record, but I don't know. I mean, I was able to maybe for the first time actually kind of see past the production into the songs and I don't know if it was just because of repeated lessons but this record got more catchy to me than it ever has in the past before I honestly man like 10-15 years ago listening to this record I'd be like man I should really try and give Mirage a try and I'd listen to it and go and eh, next it just wouldn't catch me it's got some killer songs on it for me and I mean, so many bands were doing this at the time, you know, like a lot of the bigger bands like Van Halen, you know, by this point, Eddie had switched over to keys from, from guitar practically. And like Alex Van Halen was playing Lynn drums and stuff. Judas Priest, they were using guitar synths, you know, like the heavy metal band Hmm. was, was doing an album called Turbo, like right around this time. And it's aged well when it came out, like nobody liked that album. And when I saw Priest this year, they played like three songs off of that album. And they and people loved them, myself included. With like, guitar synths? Yeah. Really? Yeah. No way. Way. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, I don't mind the sound of it. You know, I was looking back. We've done Me Puppets 1. I'm not including the In My Car single in this. But again, this was like last week when we were talking about the catalog numbers. Remember when Joe Carducci told us that he was spacing out the catalog numbers? Remember Zoogs was like yeah, double digits or whatever? Meat Puppets, 77, 88, 99. Yeah. Meat Puppets 1 is SST 9. That's how far back we go with the Meat Puppets. And then Meat Puppets 2 is number 19. Up on the Sun is 39. Out My Way is 49. And then this one is is number 100. And so that pretty consistent out, output from 1984 through 87. That's a record a year, every year. And this year they're going to do two. We'll get to Wavos whenever we get to it. It's a ways off, but they put it out this same year kind of, I think, as a reaction to the, you know, the negative reviews this one got. And I'm not sure the band really liked it at the time either. They seemed to move past it pretty quickly. You'll hear Derek talk about it in the interview, but the songs were hard to play live. We'll get to yeah, that. Yeah, there's a lot of multi-tracking, hey? 
A lot of multi-tracking, you know, th this one was recorded at the same place as the Out My Way sessions, which was Shatton Studios. It was a converted guest house behind the home of a wealthy Paradise Valley couple who'd started the studio to record the Phoenix Symphony. And that's where they did Out My Way. They did this one there too, and I, they definitely, you know, had more time to spend doing overdubs, etc. Like I said, there was big changes happening in the band at this point. They'd come off the huge cr critical success of Meat Puppets 2 and Up on the Sun, doing lots of touring. Kurt had kids. College rock is exploding with bands like uh, R.E.M. and Hooskers and Replacements and Camper Van Beethoven, even Red Hot Chili Peppers. And like you said, there is a chapter on, on this album in that Greg Prado book with quotes from Ian Mackay, Paul Leary from Butthole Surfers, Flea, Mark Arm, and they're all kind of saying the band lost them after Up on the Sun. But then there's quotes from people like Buzz Osborne who, who says, I, yeah. th I thought it was brilliant, and I think all, all of their albums are worth buying buying and I have bought them and yeah. there's a quote from Dave Markey who says I went wherever they went you can't always keep up a certain consistency when you're radically reinventing yourself every time yeah that's a good point yeah. so let me ask you this though as someone who probably knows this genre of music better than me would you call this in its day like stoner rock country rock what would you call this it sounds like the Meat Puppets, which is all of that and more. I think Derek Bostrom has called this their like psychedelic opus or something like that. Hmm. I mean, it's all over the place, just like every Meat Puppets record is. We'll talk about that more when we go through the tracks. And one of the things that I really appreciated about the uh, the interview we did with with uh, Derek was his willingness to go through the tracks. And yeah. talk about all of them, which was something really special that I suggested because I wanted to do something a little different for our, our hundredth episode, and and I thought that was really a fun exercise with Derek. Yeah, people will like to hear that. Yeah, Derek has suggested, I think, in the book that they maybe could have taken the best tracks from this and Huevos and made one album out of them. I don't know that you know maybe with hindsight he doesn't still feel that way. I'm not sure, but or maybe he never did, but. Like I said, I I really think this is a great album that stands on its own. Yeah, I'm like I'm not the hugest fan of it. I've already kind of said that, but when I listen to the record, it's not like you know a particular song or songs stand out to me as the throwaways on the record. It's a cohesive album, and it's not like there's a stinker on it that you would, you know, like there's no filler on the record. I guess is no, what I'm saying. There's, there's no filler on. There's no filler on this record. It, you just have to be willing to get into the sound. If it didn't have electronic drums, and if it didn't have the, have the guitar synths, it would be heralded as a Meat Puppets classic, I think. That's probably right. Kurt talks in the book about really being into the sound and production on Prince's Purple Rain, which was probably just out when this came out and wanting to have that lush sound. And he was also trying to recreate the guitar sounds that they got on Up on the Sun. They were really getting into technology around this time. Kurt gets the rolling guitar synth, and they get some rolling drums too. Yeah. Uh, Kurt says, The album was just really hard to play live. It had just too much multi-tracking. It was ambitious. The compositions were c complex in a way, 
So we realized, I don't like playing it live. That's why we did Huevos right away, which is SST-150, which came out in October of 87. This one came out in April of 87. You know, that's another thing, too, that strikes me about this era of the Meat Puppets. For anyone, and I mean, here you're going to have me defending this record, and I'm not a huge fan, but who else puts out two records like that in one year anymore? Yeah, nobody. Yeah. There's a great thing on Derek Bostrom's website, Boast World, called The Shatten Sessions Part 2, Mirage. I mean, the whole site is a total treasure trove for any Meat Puppets fan. There are downloads of Mirage board rehearsals on there, multi-track run-throughs, two discs worth of studio outtakes, and also a bunch of live recordings from 87. There's one at City Gardens where they play this entire album, uh, minus Confusion Fog, in the set. Uh, they also play an awesome version of ZZ Top's I'm Bad, I'm Nationwide, which is another band was that was doing this kind of stuff at the time. Think about Afterburner and uh, Eliminator, those two ZZ Top albums. Yeah, those were heavy electronic underneath the guitars for sure. Yeah. They were playing guitar synths too. Yeah. Uh, there's another live recording on there from July in Milwaukee. They dropped a whole bunch of these songs, but they are playing Confusion Fog at, th- at that point. And another one from August. And each one of these shows is also, for every Mirage track that goes off, they're adding in Huevos tracks. So kind of cool to see, you know, how they were doing that on the tour. I'm just going to read you the first paragraph of this uh, Derek Bostrom thing on the Shatten sessions. He says... The American independent music scene had become a horse race by 1986. The revolution was over. It was time to get serious. Husker Du and the replacements were odds-on favorites to win. The Meat Puppets were expected to place or show. Rolling Stone deemed us only a couple tweaks away from greatness. We had begun to second-guess ourselves. Each puppet accused the other of holding the band back. But everyone could agree that my sins were the greatest. I just didn't seem to care anymore. I balked at the band's direction. I rarely showed up for rehearsals. To be honest, the magic was draining out of it for me. Things got a lot less fun as the year progressed. A week into the first leg of the tour, our sound man slammed Kurt's finger in a van door, breaking it in two places. Kurt regained his dexterity in a few weeks, but the experience left us all shaken. The hastily rebooked makeup dates were a punishing slog. Everywhere we went, disgruntled promoters complained about poor attendance. Finally, during the last show of the tour, we accidentally left all the cash earnings from the trip in our unlocked vehicle. We returned home flat broke. So that's what they're coming back to after the Out My Way tour. You know, and then they all get these these new toys and kind of go into their separate corners. And Kurt writes this album, and, and this is what comes out of it. Let's kick it over to Derek Bostrom. Let's do it. Okay, we're joined on the podcast today by Derek Bostrom. Derek, thanks for being on the podcast. It's my pleasure, sir. Thank you for having me. Yeah, well, we're, we're happy to have you. So we're specifically talking about the Mirage album this week, but can you take us back to that era of the band? I think leading up to the recording, sure recording of this, were you touring Out My Way? Well, uh, first of all, I uh, just got a chance to see Desolation Center uh, just this week. I played right. in Phoenix for a week. And um, 
it's a terrific film. And if, and if, if you're, uh, if anybody hasn't seen it, um, they should definitely do it. I was, uh, pleasantly surprised. I mean, we watch a lot of, uh, of your, of your public television, uh, music documentaries. And, um, uh, those are always such sanctimonious, uh, things. It's like, you know, you got like some 20 something, uh, popular rocker trying to educate me on the history of the blues. And usually I'm just like, whatever. But, um, Stuart did a real good job with this. He really brought home the goods, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised. And uh, that takes us to January of 1985, just before we recorded um, Up on the Sun. Okay. And uh, we were still playing kind of an amalgam of punk rock and uh, Elvis covers. And uh, the year of 1985 dragged us uh, kicking and screaming into the the world as uh, people really liked our record but thought we were... uh, unable to pull it off live so by the end of 85 we could almost um you know we, we were definitely you know struggling back and forth trying to like make 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 our show something a little bit more presentable right. meanwhile uh you know 85 was also the year people were starting to put out their major label releases and everything and uh, i believe tim came out that year by the replacements and uh Minutemen had been touring with REM, and there had been a lot of pressure on those of us to like make good. We kind of got wrapped up in, in that as well. And, and, you know, Kurt was really starting to assert himself as a songwriter and a musical visionary, yada, yada, yada. But um, we kind of got waylaid uh, in 86. Uh, we had been touring all year for Up on the Sun, and then it was time to put on another record. We really didn't have that much material. So we, uh, you know, agreed with our label, SST, to just kind of do an EP in the spring because, uh, you know, we were making our living doing this. So we needed uh, some something to put out so that we could tour on it. We were going to tour in uh, spring and summer of 86 and then uh, start working on another record and get it out in, uh, you know, like fall. Right. Well, um, we got up out, out my way out and um, it was, you know, it's... it's a little bit of a head scratcher for some people because it was uh, not very punk, even less punk than uh, Up on the Sun. We got out there, and um, next thing you know, our sound man had, had slammed his uh, the, the door of our van onto Kurt's finger, and that's our guitarist. Right. And uh, we were essentially out of work for about three months while he uh, healed and then relearned how to play the guitar. And then we uh, had to go back and make up all the dates we missed, and then we managed to like um, get back together in the fall of '86 to uh, woodshed for uh, this record. You know, it, meanwhile I was not feeling very uh, very very confident. It had been a, a tough couple of years, and it had seen a, a pretty substantial transformation of the band into something. And I wasn't really savvy as to what all was going on. Uh, a lot of the songs were. Um, a little bit more, I don't know, prog or whatever, a little less punk, a little less rock and roll. And I uh, was really uh, kind of struggling to figure out what was going on. Meanwhile, Kurt was just woodshedding all over the place. He was like writing tons of stuff and I just couldn't keep up with him. And uh, eventually we kind of settled on a handful of songs that we were going to do for this record. And um, Chris and I got together as uh, just the two of us. And he basically wrote a lot of the drum parts for me based on you know what he was doing and uh mirage really i mean both of those boys are just exploding on that record chris totally. is like really coming to the fore 
with some um, very inventive uh, uh, bass arrangements. And Kurt, you know, it's like, um, you know, it's just like he's really asserting himself hard. And um, anybody who's in a band can tell you that uh, when, you know, when, when, when one of the members suddenly really starts to push forward with his vision, like I said, the rest of us kind of have to, like, scramble to catch up, at least in my case. Uh, Chris was right there with him. But, uh, you know, Chris and I worked uh, hard on the arrangements for that record. And some of the songs are kind of rock and roll, like Swimming Ground, as a pretty basic uh, Boston kind of a vibe. But then you'll get into uh, something like Mirage or um, The Mighty Zero and stuff, and you can hear me. My drum pattern is really kind of locked in with the bass, and that's the kind of stuff that Chris was working on me with. And really, that's where we kind of developed uh, the style that we still you know, rely on. We started getting into the habit of uh, playing just the two of us. And, oh, my God, we have so much fun now, uh, you know, 20 plus, 25, 30 years later, just jamming the two of us. And uh, but that was kind of the start of it. And you can kind of start hearing it on Mirage. Mirage was recorded from about the uh, fall of uh, 86 to the to the you know, early 87. Mm-hmm. And we did it in the same studio we had did. Um, out my way on only I was using a electronic drum machine uh, as a kind of a, uh, you know, a desperate attempt to, uh, to get current. Right. And uh, Chris had this headless Steinberger and Kurt had this uh, weird Roland guitar synthesizer. So we were all like up in this ridiculous mid eighties <laughs> uh, electronics boom, which um, some, you know, some of it worked and some of it didn't. I want to say the electronic drums, really didn't work uh uh at least you know we, we never returned to them i did one show with them live and then like went and bought myself a proper drum set and never looked back you know the problem with the electronic drums is they never really set up the band sonically to do anything even close to sweat yeah. and you can really hear that in mirage where it's a pretty antiseptic sound um in fact when we finished that record I went out and got new equipment. We kind of set the gizmos aside and started learning these songs as a three-piece to go out live. And uh, we wound up, uh, well, some of them, uh, for instance, you take uh, the Mighty Zero. Um, There's When we did it live, Kurt had to actually hand the, uh, the vocals off to me and Chris because he could not sing and play his parts at the same time. <laughs> so consequently, that song didn't last very long in our live set. In fact, uh-huh. none of them really did, except for, you know, Liquefied, a couple others. Swim, uh, I said, uh, what's that one song? Not Swimming Ground. Uh, Get On Down. We did that one. Right, yeah. And uh, so a lot of these songs we just kind of set aside and we quickly ran into the studio and did a record that was a little bit more live sounding, which was Huevos. I was going to say, you mentioned earlier that you, you know, you were struggling before this to to try and your your idea was to make a record that you could play live. Right. (laughs) And then you made one that you couldn't play live. Or you could, but you weren't weren't happy. You weren't happy with maybe the reaction you got. We were just trying to, we were trying to, um, you know, live up to our potential. Kurt had a lot of ideas that we were kicking around. You know, we had bought, you know, eight track uh reel to reel player and synthesizers and drum machines and we were trying to um you know to translate the stuff that we were doing uh into onto a record right. and it was a lot of studio frippery and 
you know, this is when, when we really uh, started to embrace our progressive roots, which we still do. Mm-hmm. Now, at the time, I had not, uh, I had forgotten my, uh, my uh, love of uh, Ken and, and Yes and uh, all those kinds of bands and was still like, um, punk rock! <laughs> but eventually I came around. Right. And now it's just like, if you come and see us now, it's just like, holy crap. But anyway, that's kind of the, the, the lead up to the record. Um, didn't do great. Some of the people, you know, it's just like the meat puppets were just not, were not becoming the great white hope of uh, of indie rock that the uh, the critics wanted. Right. Uh, obviously, the replacements, the Hooskers, uh, those guys went on to major labels. Didn't really, um, also didn't become the great white hope, but at least they had a shot. And uh, we never we got our shot much later. And uh, I'm personally kind of glad. But, uh, when you say it didn't do great, you know what was like the general reaction? When like who would you have been playing with after this came out? Were you were you doing a head mostly headlining tours? We were headlining. Yeah. 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 Well, that's one thing. We weren't playing with anybody. We were just headlining. Right. We were not being offered uh, opening shots with REM the way say the Minutemen were. Right. But um, we were a kind of a difficult band to grasp uh, uh, for people because uh, uh, we were just not. We're just, we're just we're just very very unique. We just did our own thing, and we I can't really uh, imagine even now um, how you know if, if you're. I, mean, I can understand the Minutemen, and I can understand the replacements and who's could do, and I don't know what you know REM and stuff. Yeah. But I still don't think we really fit in, and uh, the major labels were going the other way, and we had made a stab at trying to get signed too, and um, they just wouldn't bite. They were like going. Well, you guys are brothers. That's kind of cool, but I don't see how we can sell you guys because your music is too weird, and um, it just weren't playing ball. I mean, like we had uh, a meeting with uh, a fellow named Gary Gersh. Uh, I can't remember what label he's working working with. I'm sure the other guys would remember, but he basically told us that um, there's just that he just couldn't see how to sell us, hmm. and um, wasn't you know was was therefore going to pass. The band was kind of seeking out these meetings themselves well that was everybody was yeah <laughs> you know all our peers were getting signed in one respect or another yeah um so uh, and definitely we you know we thought we were as good as david bowie and bruce springsteen combined and we we didn't have any uh any real pretensions of like not selling records and we were trying to do do it for a living so yeah. you know we stayed with SST and we went out and toured and toured and toured and toured and toured, put out two records a year, toured like crazy all through uh, 1998, tried to get signed again in 1990 or 1988. Right. Um, couldn't get it done. Had to put out another record with SST. By this time, it was real clear to them that we were looking to bail. And they were like, yeah, me puppets want to be on a major label, but they suck. So they have to put out their records with us. Fuck them. And uh, so the Monsters thing was kind of um, fraught. And, uh, and then we finally managed to get signed to uh, to London and put out uh, three terrific records, only one of which is still in print, for crying out loud. Yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, so it opens with Mirage. What are your thoughts on, on that song? You know, that's a, that one's got that guitar synthesizer on it. Yep. It's also got me, uh, it's got, it's, this is like the only record that has three-part harmony on it with the, all three of us singing. And I'm on Mirage, I'm on Wind in the Rain, I think I'm on the opening chorus part of Get On Down. So Mirage is like all three of us, which is kind of cool. 
Yeah, um, there's a really good live recording from this era on your your website that I that I checked out. Yeah. You you actually play quite a few of these songs. Right, on, in the on, first first month or so of of touring, we we definitely did. Yeah, um, and they weren't bad at all. But um, we like to be a little bit looser on stage, and uh, you know when you're get getting involved in a in a, a tour situation, you go in night after night to different clubs. You don't have a lot of control over your uh, your sound. Um, and if you can't hear, sometimes it's hard to do this trickier material. One of the other things that happened in 87 is we began to uh, bring uh, Dave O'Clausen along. Right. And we had uh, the, 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 uh, the sound man who had broken Kurt's finger. Um, we uh, retired his services and went with Dave O. We had actually been trying to get Dave O for a while, but he had to clear his, uh, his calendar. And so the, the uh, 1987 is the year we first started getting live board tapes of all of our shows oh, okay uh thanks to Davo. so i've got like a closet full of of tapes and pretty much just about every night and um you know Davo was a big part of our sound right up until we uh retired in 95 for the first time right but uh you know mirage is it's got a three-part harmony it's got a really nice little uh break there when we we're doing ah parts it's like <laughs> much too uh you know we just say well what should we call it well we'll call it mirage whatever it's the first song on the album we didn't really know and then much to our chagrin there are many other albums named mirage so that's kind of embarrassing right jimmy jimmy webb has one and fleetwood mac has one it's like whatever and <laughs> some of the demos on your on your website as well kurt's kind of just humming the melody while you guys are during the demos He's not really singing yeah. lyrics, or sometimes he'll have a cor- you know, some lyrics for the chorus. Was that pretty typical? Well, that was, yeah, well, for this record in particular, it was uh, part of, uh, of my challenge was that he didn't really have the lyrics written for any of the songs until we got into the studio. Hmm. And in some cases, I had no idea what the melody was going to be. So that was one of the reasons why I had Chris coaching me. So, you know, instead of me playing, I would prefer to play my drums to the the vocal line but uh instead i'm kind of playing to the bass parts and so it's a the, the structure of the record is a little different in that respect but you know now i've i've gotten you know gotten way better at that in fact uh, dusty notes when uh, they handed me the demos to that mm-hmm. there were no uh, vocals and you know lyrics weren't written and i came to realize that um what i can this is a, a, an opportunity for me not a it's not it shouldn't be a, a challenge it's like if I can bring something cool percussively to the to the backing tracks, that will have some influence on how the song comes out. So for that record, I was like, eh, I don't have it, the the whole song done. Now I'm like, cool, I'll, <laughs> I'll write this this damned uh, vocal line for you. Right. <laughs> um, so, but back then I was not not nearly as confident as I am now. Okay. Um, anyway, um, Raj is kind of a, a weird opener. It's kind of spacey it definitely sets the tone for something a little bit well i guess up on the sun was the same way mm-hmm. so yep but then the next song um quit it is a little bit more of a, of a rock and roll thing strange and it's kind of like these songs are all like a slacker stoner uh fantasy world it's like the, all the songs seem to be about like they're very clearly lysergic mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to uh to deny it Every, every single song on there is, if not stoner, then certainly slacker. Yep. Uh, but Quit It definitely 
sounds like one of the things that listening back to it, it's like all the songs kind of have the same sonic style. They all kind of sound the same. All the drum sounds are the same. Bass sounds, guitar sounds are pretty much the same. They all sound real studio-y, very um, in line, you know, patched right into the board kind of sounds. And they don't, they're not very rocking. And Quit It definitely is a song that, uh, while there's some tremendous kind of Les Paul things going all the way through it, there's that great little lead at the end of the song. Yeah, it's it's, um, it's still a little sterile. Do you, so do you play any of these now? Any of these songs? Nope. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've played, uh, we play uh, Wind in the Rain and Confusion Fog in rehearsal, mm-hmm. but that's just me and Chris. Okay. Um, and we uh, we played Liquefied forever. Quit it, we never really... That's quirky. That's like, it starts with that little kind of disco-y thing, and then it goes, it does some stops, and then it goes into a kind of goofy Chuck Berry kind of thing. Weird song. Yeah. <laughs> uh, confu- now, confusion, confusion Fog. fog the, now, that's a great song. It I wish good. we would do that one. Yeah. Um, I like, I, you know, I, I see Kurt's little um, kind of country touchstone songs as all kind of being one whole kind of, you know, uh, series. You got Lost, Confusion Fog, uh, Mountain Lion, Coming Down. They're all kind of like he ascends, mm-hmm. he gets lost, he comes down. Kind of a, <laughs> a great little a little rock opera of, of psychedelic country, but uh, Confusion Fog is terrific. Yeah. I wish that we would do that one now. Do people ask for these songs? You mean people outside of the band? Yeah. <laughs> the band has kind of been playing a lot of the same songs over the years kind of settled into that kind of, you know, um, kind of a similar set. And we don't all live in the same town. I, and since I've come on board in the past uh, year, uh, I've been definitely pushing to do more songs. And Chris is all for it. He wants to do all of them. Now I want to do all of them too, especially the ones that I feel I can do, I can do better, but uh, it, it's slow going. You know, we'll get together and play a couple of them and sound check. Right. and uh, wait for the right moment to pull them out and see if they work. Honestly, uh, we've been focusing on the new album, and even that, it's like, it goes back to, to Mirage, it's like, we, how many of the songs from a new record are going to have staying power to stay in the set, you know, are actually yeah. going to be translated? So we've been focusing on, you know, adding new songs from the album to the set, and we haven't been, been real successful. The next stage would be to uh, see if we can work... Uh, you know what? 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 What's going to fit live next? A lot of these songs uh, are are tricky to play live, uh, or are tricky to to sing. And it's one thing to ask a twenty eight year old man to do it. If a twenty eight year old man is struggling to do it, it's not really fair to ask a sixty year old man to do it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Could be <laughs> so could crazy. be a little easier with the with the expanded lineup, maybe. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. But you know, in terms of like singing and maybe breaking a song from a three piece into a, into a five piece without making it sound stupid. Yeah. Um, Ron and Elmo are, are very intuitive and sympathetic players, but some songs just work best as a three piece. And for sure, we, we tend to try to focus on the ones that are real, that would work best with a five piece. Yeah. A lot of these guitar synth, synths kind of sound like a keyboard too at times. Yep. Yeah. Oh, believe me, we've had those internal discussions. <laughs> uh, the next track, "The Wind and the Rain," that seems like one of the hits to me. Maybe we would probably try to do that one live. That's the yeah. kind of material that we 
still have a lot of uh, feeling for. So it's, it sounds yeah, like the Meat Puppets sound now to me. That song. Yeah, it's, yeah. it could be a current Meat Puppets song. Um, and that's another song where all three of us are singing. Okay. Yep. Ah, uh, the Mighty Zero. I think it's a great lyric. It's a great song. Um, a little tricky to play live, but uh, such a such a cool concept. And of course, the zero is mighty. I've had uh, numerous arguments with uh, with my wife over the utility of the, of the null, and uh, she doesn't. Uh, there's there's a book about it, uh, mm-hmm. about z- zero and how it uh, how it um, came to be used. It wasn't a. I mean, actually, if you think about it, uh, conceiving of and um, executing on the concept of zero in mathematics is pretty freaking huge. I wouldn't necessarily say that's what the song is about. It's, uh, zero is a is, is something that uh, we we, sh- we should all get to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get on down. That's the one you did a video for. Can you tell us about? Do you recall making the video? What a stupid song. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, some of the some of the aspects of of this of our late '80s material are a bit of a poke at the notion of uh, you know mainstream rock and roll and uh, the masses and whatever. And obviously, the concept of get on down is like um, you know butt shaking rock and roll yep. or shit. Of course, uh, I, any any of my interpretations of Kurt's material have to be taken with a grain of salt because uh, they're my interpretations and they're designed to be provocative. Uh, the video, um, I had an old friend uh, from um, elementary school and high school who I'd kind of fallen out with and um, got, had gotten, uh, gotten back to, uh, to, to know him again uh, in the late 80s, and he was a, an aspiring filmmaker, okay. and um, he wanted to do a video for us, and we wanted to do a video for as little money as possible, so we gave him all the live videos that we had in our collection at the time on VHS. And he picked out the coolest parts. And then we went out and uh, just like videotaped ourselves over the course of an afternoon doing stupid stuff. (laughs) Then he cut it together and we gave it to MTV. And we were like, we made this ourselves. We didn't do this with the label support. Um, You know, it's got uh, Elmo in it and and his his sister, Catherine, which is real cool. They they run around. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the highlight of that uh, recording session, aside from coming up with a little dance, for God's sake, oh my God, uh, we were driving around in uh, Guadalupe, which is just just south of Tempe, where we lived. And it's a um, an Indian uh, little town, just like a you know a couple of blocks. Uh, and uh, they have a uh, like a church there. I assume it's a Catholic church of some sort. And we wanted to like videotape ourselves in front of that because it's real picturesque. It's a real classic old church. And we got out and uh, pulled out our cameras, start filming it. And next thing we know from across the parking lot, a whole group of dudes start running towards us. We realized they were, did not want us filming their church <laughs> uh, because we were, um, you know, soul sealers, which we are, at least I am. <laughs> and, uh, Actually, I am a defender against the stealing of my soul. But anyway, they chased us out of there, and they they started. We realized they weren't running towards us; they were running towards their cars, and we just freaking floored it. And I still have a video of us. Unfortunately, <laughs> our filmmaker threw the camera to the ground, so we only got shots of the the, uh, the our feet and us nervously going. 
go, dude. Move it, dude. Come on, come on. Let's go, let's go. And uh, what was funny was the uh, the little bong that we were carrying around, which was would have been a uh, probably a tin can, like a soda can with right. like holes poked in it as yeah. a pipe, got uh, shoved up underneath the, uh, the gas pedal in the melee. So we first thought for sure we were going to get caught because we couldn't floor it. And uh, unfortunately, that didn't make it to the uh, to the video. <laughs> Uh, the next track is Leaves. The beginning of Side 2, yeah. back in the uh, the days of vinyl. Uh, that was a song from like 84 okay. uh, that we uh, that we brought back for that for this record. Um, it's got a cool uh, fuzz guitar lead in it and uh, you know kind of breaks the pattern of the of the, the that real um, crystalline you know guitar sound that Kurt's doing. He was playing through the, uh, the Tom Scholz Rockman uh, at the time. Uh, most of Up on of, up on the Sun was, was recorded through the Rockman, but that was an album we did with Spot, obviously. Yeah. Uh, the the record the, the records that we did in, in Phoenix with uh, Steve Escalier, the engineer there, have a much more clean kind of a sound. Steve's uh, ear was was a lot different, and uh, the studio was different. Steve, of course, worked with um, Keith Olson for a while, and uh, at much more um, Neve Board kind of clean sound vibe to his thing, which you hear on this record, uh, for better or for worse. But that's kind of a you know that's a kind of a nice little song, but it has that weird jangly clean guitar that's uh, just a little tad out of phase, a little bit out of tune. Um, something not the greatest version of it we ever did. That's another one we could do now. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you've got the machine, which comes after that. It was another one that I thought was mighty stupid. <laughs> and uh, it's good though. It's like um, I always thought of it as kind of like a disco Michael Jackson kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's really actually pretty uh, prog rock to me now. I was that was probably a little bit out of my grasp. I didn't quite get it since like playing to me. It's like well. The best I could muster on a prog style track was to like do fake disco. Now I might do it differently, uh, but Kurt does do that um, that shout out to Michael Jackson and the little spoken line, which is kind of cute. Ah, cool. Uh, the next track is "Beauty." Another another great song. Uh, "Beauty" and and, uh, and the mighty zero are kind of of a piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a, another Chris arranged uh, drum part, and uh, it's got those weird. Uh, little hitches in the rhythm that he loved to do. Having having Kurt, uh, um, this is kind of as revealing as he ever gets in his songwriting. I mean, we recently did an interview in which he said that his one of his things he does um, is try to make the songs not about him. Right. And uh, a lot of times he would write lyrics and then he would go through and remove uh uh, any references to himself in it, anything and like change the lines to make it a little bit more obscure, a little bit more general. But um, you can't deny that songs like beauty and uh, the mighty zero are, <laughs> he may think that they're general, but I'm afraid he has a very unique outlook on life and they're <laughs> still about him, whether he likes it or not. And that's a good example of it. Okay. A hundred miles. That's, uh, we were going to call this one Mexico originally. Oh. And uh, went with a hundred miles. Um, Cool song. I think that the label was interested in doing it as as a single, but we, the record didn't have them. Instead, we went in and re- recorded a whole other album. Interesting song. You know, one of the first kind of pseudo 
and um, Dusty Notes has kind of got that vibe, the, the title track from our new record, mm-hmm. kind of a little bit of a mariachi thing going on. Obviously, uh, the boys spend a lot of time in Mexico and uh, don't make any bones about, about it. Mm-hmm. But uh, unlike Dusty Notes, which has got a nice organic kind of a sound, this one, again, is a little too sterile, if you ask me. Okay. Love Our Children Forever. That's my favorite song on the record by far. Yeah, it's a beautiful song. That's the, that's the song that's got the best, uh, that, that's aged the best, in my opinion. I, I don't know if I want to do it live, but I think it's a great song. I, lo- I love the, the, uh, the in-your-face audacity of the, uh, the title. I think the lyrics are great. I, I like the, the mood. And I think Kurt's guitar playing is, is just beautiful. Yeah. So Agreed. to me, that's like, that, that's a great, great song. And then you ended off with liquefied. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't be counted on liquefied. Uh, good golly, Miss Molly, all sorts of goofy crap that we used to like to do. Um, we did liquefied forever in our set. We could, it's, and it's, we, we have uh, Vampire's uh, Winged Fantasy uh, now and it's like controversial because some of us want to play it live and some of us don't mm. liquefied is similar. It's like uh, it's a little bit, little bit uh, ridiculous. What about the cover so art, the, Derek? What, how did uh, that well, get created? I, that's the kind of noodling that we used to do. We used to, around this time I was trying to redouble my, uh, my involvement in, in the band and like, uh, really you know get back into it we like i said we were we had started rehearsing every day and in 87 i want to say late 86 the boys bought houses in tempe right next to each other and chris had a really uh, a nice garage like a freestanding garage tool to like a workshop shed in the back of his house kurt had just a big yard which is good because he had twins but right. uh Chris's backyard was dominated by a, uh, a freestanding garage. And we went out uh, one early one Saturday and made a bid on a whole bunch of mattresses, which, you know, you can go to like thrift store, Goodwill, they'll have like uh, auctions. And we hauled them back in my pickup truck, threw them in the ceiling, threw them against the walls. We uh, I got a big hole for a evaporative cooler. We went out and bought a little, um, uh, just a regular proper uh, cooler uh, air, air conditioning unit, window unit, stuck okay. it in there and um, started rehearsing. Even got to the point where uh, we finally convinced the police that we were a serious band uh, who was, uh, you know, uh, increasing the value of, uh, of Tempe, uh, you know, pr- presenting Arizona to the, to the world and the universe and we should not be treated like garbage we had a right to pursue our our rehearsals and they were like yeah just make sure you're done by like five o'clock <laughs> so you know uh, you know so really things were going well for us we had a great place to record and rehearse it was big enough to where we could put in our we had a pa we had um you know rec- uh eight track recording Mm-hmm. And we used to get together and record and rehearse and sit around and smoke pot and draw pictures all day. So we were like working five plus a week every day uh, on one aspect of our art or another. And I've got boxes and boxes of notebooks of mm-hmm. art. And, um, the, you know, I submitted uh, one of these drawings, which I then painted uh, to the band and they thought it would it would be a good fit. 
and then we took a bunch of Kurt's drawings um, and put them in the uh, in the lyric sheet. And uh, you know, we'd always take notebooks around on tour and sit around, smoke pot, and draw. Right. And uh, you see a lot of those drawings on the live in Montana record. So you know, we just love to use our own uh, goofy art for records. But sometimes, like trying to find the right one. It's hard. We did a cool T-shirt of that uh, of that uh, cover as well. And the back cover was a painting I did around 1984 or so, or so with like uh, you know with actual paint, and uh, that was very cool. I think I still have that one somewhere. <laughs> and then the photos were by Joseph Cultis, and Joe had started um, photographing bands, you know, a year or so earlier, and. Uh, a lot, you know, us and maybe I'm not sure who, had, which other bands he was, uh, he was photographing. But we were one of the first bands that really got him national exposure because he was our main guy. And he's such a talented photographer, and uh, he did great sessions for us for that record. He did great sessions uh, for. Um, we used him, you know, up until uh, we started working on, on a major. By that time, he had like taken his own career national, and he still an extremely highly regarded uh, photographer and we got to use him for dusty notes and the photos he took of us are, are so grand and uh, you know, the, the, the pictures on that record are, are good. Yeah, so they are. I, I want to give, give Joe a huge shout out for the, for that, uh, you know, presenting yourself uh, a, a, a public image for yourself in, in your brand, so to speak, is no small thing. And we had a specific, kind of way we wanted to present ourselves not too punk rock not too one way or another right and uh now the only downside of that record is that chris had really wished that we had used like some sort of a proper font letter set whatever and burned it into the cover instead of my hand uh hand written uh lettering but uh he's wrong yeah but i think the cover totally suits the music it's yeah yeah it's a great record and uh you know all of our records are great, um, but this is a, a, a real unique one, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you uh, you guys are doing a podcast about it. I've heard a couple of the other podcasts mm-hmm. of our some of our stuff. Um, you you almost get it right. <laughs> see. I think I heard um, I heard the the out my way one, which was fun. Mm-hmm. You did the first the first single too, right? Yep. Yep. And you've probably done others, but those are the only two that I've heard. You were talking about trying to convince the the police that you were of your cultural significance. You indeed, you did get recognized by the Arizona Music and Entertainment Hall of Fame, which kind of yep. uh, sparked your your reunion. They did. Uh, you know, we had uh, we we'd stopped talking after you know after the uh, the the explosion of uh, the, you know the whole major label bust thing, which right. uh, you know led us all to our own directions and. Yeah, it wasn't until uh, people at work, you know, started coming up to me going, oh, you guys have been in, inducted. And I was like, whatever. And I realized, God, people really care. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, well, I guess I care too. And uh, just kind of through, through back channels, uh, I reached out to those guys. And uh, what really, uh, what really uh, clinched the deal for me was when I heard back that Kurt uh, was also dubious about it, that actually um, – they had been trying to get the, the meat puppets inducted for years and Kurt was pushing back against it. Yeah. And they finally got one of the uh, more heavy hitter, uh, local uh, promoter guys to reach out to him and go, Kirkwood, 
do this. <laughs> and I was like, cool. Kurt hates um, this, um, you know, junior chamber of commerce bullshit as much as I do. So it was like, it made me realize that, you know, we had grown apart. We hadn't talked in a long time, mm-hmm. but there was still this um, core misanthropy. Um, there was something, you know, especially in this day and age, that like, gee, I need to get back to that, and I need to get back to that fast. Yeah. We need we need to uh, circle the wagons, those of us who are the true freaks, and uh, you know, not not let it be forgotten what uh, what America is really about. God damn it! Speaking <laughs> as a as a to a non American like yourself. <laughs> well, uh, and then so, an, an amazing album came out of it. That's the for the I fans. Think so. I think probably yeah. the best part is it's. I mean, congratulations on the on the record. It's it's a really good album. It just goes to show. It's like you know, um, man. It's just what I said. It's like circle the wagons, go for what you know. Don't second guess yourself. We're not just living in the time of Trump. We're living in a time of the fucking you know internet bullshit. It's like if it's, there's just too much bullshit out there, and it's amazing to get back together with my old brothers in arms and like play music together. It's like unbelievable. It's, it's absolutely, you know, like we'll, we, we'll, we'll not see each other for a while and I'll worry about it. And so, is, this, do we, is this, is this real? And we get back together again. And it's so real. Yeah. And, um, there's so much non reality in the world today that, um, you know, I always have had a different agenda than the other guys. You know, Chris, Kurt is his own thing. Chris has his own thing. I have my own thing. We're all unique people. Yeah. So, but to me, it's just like, this is important uh, because um, music is about the only real thing that we've got anymore. And yeah. uh, it's funny. Uh, can't make a living off of it anymore. I'm not quitting my job. Uh, the records, you know, Dusty Notes is a great record. And if your uh, audience hasn't yet purchased a physical copy of it shame on them yeah, uh sure. i know we can all we can all stream uh the uh the, the five bit version of it and listen to it on our headphones but um you'd be surprised how few uh, re- records are, are selling anymore and how uh how uh, on the ropes um your favorite rock and roll bands are i remember a time when the the uh the rolling stones had to play gigantic huge drums because they couldn't play small clubs because there weren't enough uh, places for them to play so they'd have to like play they were playing like these big places and then they were not selling out and they're like what's happening it's like people just don't come out for music anymore the fans are too old young people and it occurs to me you know during my the course of my promotion of dusty notes and talking to folks like yourself come to realize that um Rock and roll nowadays for young people is kind of like what big band music would have been for me when I was their age, which is to be, say, something that you actually have to seek out to get into. It's not it's not just right there anymore. It's uh, it's an instant acquired taste at best. Uh, you know, I, I, I keep saying, um, you know, we're right on the verge. We'll, we'll be losing Keith Richards, Bob Dylan, et cetera, et cetera, any day now. Mm-hmm. And. You know, there'll be rock. There'll be the usual "rock is dead" pronouncements now that the originators are gone, and then they'll like come back to us, Chili Peppers, um, Foo Fighters, probably Chili Peppers and Foo Fighters more than us, 
But in general, all of us who are still out there making live rock and roll music will be um, will be all you have left, people. And that was the thing that occurred to me when I started getting back together with the Kirkwoods after like two decades. It was like, you know, I went in, got married, got a job, learned the hard way how to deal with people, you know, because I would, was spoiled brat. And um, I'm still, you know, bring a, a terrible uh, attitude problem to uh, working with other people <laughs> at work. Uh, and I believe it's the right way to go, so screw them. <laughs> but the uh, Kirkwoods are still, they're absolute lifers. It's mm-hmm. like they're stone freaks. They are um, b- believers in the one true way, and they live the one true way. And uh, once people who live that way are gone, you know, you know, we'll all, we'll all be uh, we'd be poorer for it. I know it's still you know the the album just came out this year, but have you looked ahead? You mentioned you well, just did a a bunch of shows. I'm assuming you're you're still doing shows and. Oh yeah, well the thing is is like, you know, Ron joined the band about uh, about a little right around the time uh, we did that Hall of Fame thing, right. and Shandon left about six months later, so. To a certain extent, we are still, you know, putting the band together. Um, when we did Dusty Notes, the album, we had played together twice, maybe. Wow. Wow. Um, no, 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 we hadn't played together. Well, we had, the five of us hadn't played together at all. Uh, I did like one weird thing with the uh, with uh, Ron uh, just sitting in on one of their shows. So we hadn't played together live. And the the album uh, was had its roots in Kurt, you know, playing acoustic guitar with Ron in, in Austin and then, um, you know, getting together with Chris and Shandon and Elmo and working some parts out. Then Shandon left and I just kind of re-added my own drums and they removed his. I see. So the record is, is very transitory, but we have since played about 50 shows together and we're still discovering uh, our power. So obviously if we could do another record, which we will, of course, will represent the band in its in its current uh incarnation which hadn't really actually didn't exist when we did dusty notes right so i'm hoping to do something that's uh you know we always want our records to be radically different i don't feel like there's a huge amount of difference from you know the, the other records that they've done um you know between the time i left and the time i came back they're um, a little bit more similar, but back in the old days, you know, the jump from like first album to Me Puppets Two to Up on the Sun were wildly different. Yeah. And Dusty Notes is a pretty big departure from what uh, the band was doing before. And uh, you know, if I have my say, we'll. I, I think Kurt agrees. If, if, in a perfect world, we would like go into the studio and play live, but you know, maybe even go so far as to like drag all our friends in and make mm-hmm. them make them uh, watch us record a live record in the studio that god only knows that's <laughs> you know by the time we actually make a record and have new songs that we don't have any right now again my focus is to like reintroduce songs like uh, confusion fog into the lineup i'm not interested in learning any new songs we've got like almost 40 years of songs that we should uh, relearn derek thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today i really appreciate it it's my uh, my pleasure, Brent. I hope you got a good recording of this so we don't have to do it all again. I believe I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, good luck with your, uh, your, your, your fall push to record the next round, and let me know when you come around to another Meat Puppets record. All right, yeah. Brent, thanks so much for, for talking to me. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. 
Take care. So long. So long, listeners. All right. I almost don't want to go through the tracks on this record after having Derek go through them. Yes, but we have to. (laughs) We must. (laughs) I I have to have my say. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, he really hits home in this interview, I think, the pressure that the band felt to to make good and get a major label deal and, and, you know, capitalize on all the critical acclaim they had gotten. It's so weird. I wonder if there'll ever be a period of time like that again, where there is this, this scene where there's, will they make it? Will they get signed? It doesn't really feel like that anymore because of the ability of people to just put out their music whenever they feel like it now. Yeah, it's true. Good to know that things are going good for the puppets though. And yeah, sounds like uh, we'll be getting new music and the new album is fantastic by the way i think derek mentions this in the interview but if if any of our listeners listeners haven't checked it out yet it's it's a super good album if i if i were to believe dave markey you know every meat puppets album is different but could you associate the latest record with an era or a phase of the meat puppets from some of their sst era records the new one is kind of a you know has a little bit of everything that the meat puppets do you know like um derek says it in the interview there's a track on this album called liquefied uh which he compares to one off the new album called vampires winged fantasy and he's totally right it does compare and there's you know other tracks on this album like uh the wind and the rain could totally be some you know something the meat puppets have done on one of their last four albums interesting you want to go through the tracks History Lesson, Part 2. Before we do that, I'm just going to give you a couple of reviews that I found. Here's one from Joe Sasfi from the Chicago Reader in May of 87. Meat Puppet's fifth album, counting last year's Out My Way EP, is their finest, as close to a polished artistic arrival as you'd want from a frisky anti-pop band committed to musical spontaneity and adventure. More than either of their distinguished peers, Replacements and Husker Du, the Meat Puppets represent the flowering of hardcore punk that insists on further flowering. Their music, in all its flaky wonder, offers neither the punk plus pop verve of, of Husker Du nor the boozy catharsis of the, of the Replacements. Maybe that's why they are still on the SST label. It's hard to outfit the pops with an image, and their audience remains an unidentifiable collection of oddball adventurers. Track one, side one, is the title track, Mirage. It's kind of a cool, lazy, laid-back opener, tons of layered guitar synth, but it works for me. This one, for me, paints a musical picture that goes with the lyrics, similar to Meat Puppet 2's Aurora Borealis, for example. Yeah, I agree with kind of a lazy song and... The vocals and the harmonies, too, are very laid back. I think Derek, in his interview, calls it uh, Kurt Kirkwood's, like, slacker fantasy world or something. Yeah. Stoner slacker fantasy world. Track two, Quit It. All these songs, by the way, are written by Kurt Kirkwood. This one is a tight little rocker. It sounds like the vocal approach Kurt started taking on the Out My Way EP. You know, when he's doing stuff like 
you climb the walls. That kind of growly <laughs> thing that he does, you know? Yeah. This yeah. one has a really bitchin' solo at the end, kind of a Mark Knopfler, J.J. Kale kind of a thing. Yeah, I, I totally picked up on the, the Dire Straits type vibe for sure. Track three, Confusion Fog. Big time layered guitar synth, uh, especially during the middle section. This is like a two-step meat puppet style. I really like this song. I, I love the pre-chorus, you know, when he's going blue wind, drift on, blow through till the dust is gone. Kurt Kirkwood is so underrated as a, as a lyricist, in my opinion. He just writes the coolest lyrics. Yeah, this one reminded me of, like, definitely has kind of a country vibe, but I don't, you're more of a fan of this guy than I am, but kind of sounded like Tom Petty to me. Is that fair? Yeah, sure. Yep. I really like this one. This is one of my favorites. And so is the next one, The Wind and the Rain. Just a super cool track. Kind of the start of the vocal style Kurt still uses today on this one. The intro and outro sound like kind of a Baroque proggy thing that maybe like Yes would have done or even like Richie Blackmore's Rainbow or something. It's very interesting. He does it on the, they do it on the intro and then, and then the outro. And again, great lyrics. Give me a door. I feel like walking, putting the wind in my hair. Just love that lyric. This is yeah, a really it's a waltz. It's a waltz, it's a waltz. Yeah. yeah. You're right. Yeah, it's a really great song. And so is the next one. Kind of three in a row. Three of my faves in a row. The Mighty Zero. This one has, uh, this is the only one that's words by Kurt and music by Chris and Kurt. The rest are all credited just to Kurt. This one more than any song on here for me, has the meat puppet sound. You know, we talk a lot about Greg Ginn chords. Well, this one has Kurt Kirkwood chords. Mm. Unfortunately, this one has the most obvious use of the electronic drums. It's probably has something to do with those big rolls leading into the chorus. Yeah. They're a little in your face in the mix for sure. Yeah. Kind of, this one had a bit of like a Paul Simon Graceland feel to me to me as well maybe it's because of that i don't know maybe i can see what you mean there the next track is get on down kind of a funky rocker interesting choice that they chose to do this as the a side of the promo single they did do a, a promo single on sst for this album and they did a video for this one did you watch it ryan no i didn't all right well you ha you really should watch it it's hilarious there's footage of them like hamming it up, I'm assuming, around Phoenix. And then there's a bunch of videos of them on tour. Uh, some seriously amazing live footage of them just rocking the hell out. And then there's a bunch of stuff which I assume is in Kurt's backyard. Like there's part where Kurt's like swinging around a lawnmower. They're, they're totally hamming it up. And, and like you can see the guitar synth. It looks like something that like Steve Vai would play or something like that. And Kurt, <laughs> Chris is like, he's got his Stein, Steinberger or whatever you call those things. Those really ugly yeah. bases with no headstock. Yeah. It's easily, well, I was going to say it's the best video we've seen for an SST album yet, but probably Swa Arroyo is the best, but this is, this is up there, man. It's really good. And then we flip it over to side two and we start with a track called Leaves. This sounds like something from Up on the Sun era, which Derek confirmed it pretty much is, because they wrote this in 1984. Really cool and quirky lyrics. 
I love the ending with the guitar and bass interplay. This is the one that has the lyric, whoever made up the calendar was wrong, it's New Year's all year long. Track two is I Am A Machine. This is the B-side of the promo single. This one sounds like it has a vibraphone on it, but there's nothing in the liner notes to say that, so I'm assuming it's a guitar synth. Again, the lyrics. There's a motor behind my eyes. She kicks in hard. I start to fly. I fly around, electrified. I only stop till something's fried. Yeah, it's a it's a funky number, this one. There's a demo of this on the Ryko Disc CD reissue that's really cool, and you can really hear the guitar synth on it because there's no like guitar, actual guitar overdubbed on top of it. It's just the guitar synth. And I, I'm pretty sure the the melody line he's playing on the guitar synth is from a Hendrix song. That's what it sounds like. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't. That didn't jump out at me. Yeah. I love the solo section on this. It sounds like uh, the guitar tone that he has totally sounds like a ZZ Top, like from those albums I just mentioned, Afterburner or whatever. An Eliminator. Yeah. It the 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 guitar sound on the solo is, I think, a nod to that, and the end the ending of this song just rules for me. What about Recycler? <laughs> what about Recycler? <laughs> what about that ZZ Top album? I, you know what, man? I'll listen to those ZZ albums, Eliminator and Afterburner. There's some good songs on there. What about Recycler? I don't know Recycler. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing that Black Flag was really into those albums. Oh, they, come on. Those those records are so catchy. Yeah. They would play them like over the PA system and bum out all yep. the punk rockers at their gigs yeah. or whatever, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, track three, Beauty. Another underrated track. Love the short, double-tracked, thin Lizzie-style solo in the middle of it. It's really great. This one's got some heavy synth sounds on it. Track four, A Hundred Miles. Just when you think it's kind of an unmemorable track, this amazing chorus kicks in. And uh, this one has some of Kurt's signature, like, harmonics that he does on his guitar. He uses them a lot on Up on the Sun. It's kind of one of his signature moves, I would say. Track five, Love Our Children Forever. Just a really beautiful ballad, Meat Puppet style. I'm pretty sure Derek said this is one of his favorite songs, and it's a killer track. Just love it. And the last one is called Liquefied. When I heard this song, I was just thinking to myself, you know, most bands would start an album with this one. Yeah. Instead of with Mirage. Instead of ending the album with it. It's a total rocker. Kurt's doing some gnarly finger tapping on it, which we'll hear more of on the Monsters album, which comes out in 1989. Yeah, this he's definitely shredding on there. Yeah. On this record. But if anybody likes this album, and I hope people do, because it's killer, go on Derek Bostrom's website. Uh, it's derekbostrom.net. And go through the Meat Puppet section and find all the live stuff and like the the rehearsal tapes and stuff. It's, it's really worth your time. Artwork, I don't think we really need to talk about it too much. Derek did in the interview, but to me it totally suits the album. I love the, yeah. the handwritten... Uh, the words on the cover, I think, are great. I'm glad they didn't use a letra set or whatever. It's got all the amazing doodles inside of it on the sleeve. 
the band probably did in their tour van. It's got some awesome photos of the band, which Derek talks about in the interview. The Ryko Disc reissue's got some great liner notes from Derek Bostrom and that guy Joe Sasfi that I mentioned. And one other guy too. Mark Weingarten. I'm assuming that's still available too, the Ryko Disc reissue. Yeah, I just have an old beat up SST copy of the LP, so how how are how are the extra tracks on the Ryko disc? They're great. It's mostly stuff, you know, that you can hear on Bostrom's website. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, did you when I was looking at it this time, the inner sleeve and I have the inner sleeve with this record, which is amazing cuz usually they're just thrashed and not with the record anymore. The doodles on the inner sleeve, they kind of reminded me of stuff that Chai Pig would do almost. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know why that is for some reason. It just kind of st- stuck out that way to me. Yeah. Did you see? Did you see the? Uh, they also thank Beck's fretted instrument repair. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. There's a. They get they get a thank you. Beck's fretted instrument repair in I guess it's Temp, Arizona. Tempe. Is it Tempe? Pretty sure that's how Derek pronounces it in the interview, yeah. That's, oh, where, yeah, that's where they lived, yeah. You're right, too. Tempe, Arizona. Yeah, and then it says uh, on the back cover, too, we should mention, produced by the Meat Puppets and also Stephen Escalier. Pretty sure he was the house guy at that Shatton Studios. Yeah. I want to skip ahead to Wavos, man. Can we just do that? No, because there's good stuff in between. Okay, got to do it. Hit me with some dead wax. There's none. Damn it. No dead wax. No dead when wax I... for episode 100. Yeah, all I can see on here is K-Disc, JG. And you know who that is. John Golden. That's right. And uh, no dead wax, sadly. And I don't have the promo single either. There might be some on the promo single. Mm. Yeah, I don't have it Never. either. I never came across that in my travels over the years. Would have picked it up for a buck, I'm sure, if I found it somewhere. All right, ballot result? Our 100th. Ballot result. Ryan? Do you have, yeah, man. Do you have a pick? Um, I guess not really. I guess my favorite song might be Get On Down. Really? Yeah. Um, and, but I know you were mentioning that the the three before that one you quite like i mean come on this is your record you got to pick this one actually i think i misspoke get on down i think is the b side of the promo single and i'm a machine is the a side i think i just assumed it was get on down as the a side because they did a video for oh. that one oh I which see. is even weirder that they would pick i'm a machine as the a side yeah yeah that's totally weird it's a yeah. it's a funky you know, clean guitar, guitar synth sound. Like, I don't know what they were thinking, man. Yeah. I could pick any song on here, but my favorites are Confusion Fog, The Wind and the Rain, The Mighty Zero. I have to go with Love Our Children Forever. It's just such a beautiful song. And uh, if I'm remembering right, Derek Bostrom says it's his favorite on there. So let's do that one. Sounds good. Papillon, what's next week? <laughs> For the record, for the record, uh, my name is not going to be Papillon, (laughs) by the way. 
I thought you might actually uh, ask me to whip out my thunder broom and serenade you again, but mm. I guess I guess not. I guess not. Good. Could always do a, a name that classic uh, bass punk riff. You're not going to play us on, out. Maybe on uh, episode two hundred. You could spend the next hundred episodes working up some no means no. I know you know every no means no song. So should I uh, should I describe next week's episode to some no means no? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, hang on. And it can't be rags and bones either. <laughs> can you hear that? Yeah, I can hear that. All right. How's that? Good. So, next week is SST 101, the Tar Babies record, Fried Milk. There you go, man. Okay, hey, Ryan, uh, just hit me with one other No Means No song, and I'll tell everybody else something that one more thing they got to hear. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. One more, hey? Yeah. Um, How about a metronome? Hit me with some metronome. That one's easy. special guest we've got Bucky Pope on the podcast nice see you next week hey everyone thanks for listening you can find us on Facebook Instagram Twitter Tumblr all at Mojack pod we post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.